I'm speaking with uh, composer Jason Graves, who uh, over his career in composing for visual arts has made himself a household name, especially in the realm of video games. Uh, Jason has been behind the scores for best-selling video games such as the Dead Space franchise, Fear 3, uh, Resistance, Burning Skies, Wheelman, which actually starred actor Vin Diesel in digital form, and of course recently his fantastic score to Tomb Raider. Uh, thank you so much, Jason, for your time today. Oh, totally my pleasure. Thanks. So I always like to start uh, as, to, uh, as composers. Uh, why did you decide to follow the music path? Uh, you know, what does music mean to you personally, and what turned you towards composing? You know, I think all of my friends that kind of do the same thing I do, whether it's film, TV, or games, we all seem to have this shared passion is a positive word, I think, to, to kind of use. Obsession would be <laughs> uh, maybe a little more negative connotations, but I've always been, let me say, passionately obsessed with music in general. Uh-huh. It started out listening to it, and I tried some music lessons when I was little, didn't really like it, but just still loved listening to it so much that I decided to pursue, at first, an education career, being a band director, basically, which was what kind of my high school hero was my band director. Mm-hmm. And then in college, I ended up turning it to composition because basically I couldn't stand the brass methods courses. I couldn't do the lip mouth thing on the mouthpiece. So it ended up being a wonderful gift in disguise because I switched to composition, which is honestly what I really loved from the beginning, but kind of thought I needed to have a quote unquote real job, even if it was in the music industry yeah. and teaching I love teaching in general, and I really appreciate teachers. But for me, I realized that kind of where my obsessive passion lied was in composition, in, in writing music, creating music, and for for the sole purpose of people to listen to it. I think because I have such a love of listening to music, mm-hmm. the fact that I could write something that someone else maybe gets some small inkling of the love I get listening to music from my own music is just... That's the bee's knees for me. <laughs> so did you have any uh, musical idols growing up that you really like attached to, listened to, and inspired to be? like? Well, I listened, I listened to a lot of classical music in, in high school, and then in college I, I started discovering film music, and this mm-hmm. was in the mid-'90s. So Williams was really, John Williams was at his heyday of right, writing right. for kind of action-adventure, you know, Jurassic Park, um, was kind of the one that really that really turned my head and made me think this is this is really awesome. But even going back to the usual Star Wars and E.T. were two other big ones when I was a kid. Although I didn't really know who the composer was, I knew I liked the music. But right. he was the one that really turned me onto the idea of music for media as opposed to being a you know a traditional composer that's hired by an orchestra or commissioned by a certain ensemble to write something. Mm-hmm. I love the way he had the classical sensibilities with the film style. And that was what really got me started. And of course, all the classical composers, uh, more of the romantic kind of thing mm-hmm. or even beyond, but starting a little earlier with maybe Tchaikovsky and then going into Stravinsky, those are two two of the bigger ones for me. All the all the all the ski composers is what I call them because I also love Penderecki. So as long as there's a ski at their end of their name, then apparently I was influenced by them. 
You should change your name to Jason Gravesky. So. Gravesky? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> so uh, as a composer, what stimulates your creativity, I think, more so than the rest? Is it like the story, the setting, the characters, maybe the visual aesthetics? Like what really gets your kind of juices going right at the beginning? I think it's the story. Um, and in a way that kind of encapsulates the other things that you listed because yeah, of course, yeah. the story for me, and if you're talking about dead space, you could, you could really summarize, you could do the elevator pitch, you know, an engineer stranded alone on a ship full of flesh eating monsters. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, you know, he has to use his engineering skills to fight his way out. Like, okay, that's super cool. Or, um, an archaeologist who just graduated from college stranded we have similar themes here stranded on an island you know not necessarily by herself for but for all intents and purposes yes mm-hmm. having to fight her way out and save her friends things with character arcs i see i love listening to music but i also really love watching movies and to me the best you know you get a, a score like Jurassic Park which i'm getting ready to go see in the theater with my kids tomorrow now that they're doing the 20th anniversary but yeah, i'm seeing it tonight that, <laughs> No, I'm I'm excited, but that um, the two put together is what the best of both worlds for me. So if I'm involved, whether it's film or TV or games, it always goes back to the story for me. Because in my way, in, in my head, films, really well done films, the ones that I love watching over and over again, have a wonderful story at their heart, which the story dictates that they're also going to have great characters and great character arcs and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So it kind of goes back to film a lot for me as far as kind of creative inspiration. Right. And, uh, well, you just recently composed Dead Space 3 with uh, James Hannigan, and uh, you've been in part of that franchise kind of since the, uh, the origins of it. So how has that music evolved over the course of that entire franchise? And I mean, it's really expanded into its own universe now with, you know, animated film spinoffs and games between the main game storyline. And how, how did you want this music to evolve? That's a great question. And something that I think that's worth noting is a lot of times as a composer, even if you're considered, quote-unquote, the composer for a specific franchise or mm-hmm. series of games, a lot of times the composer doesn't really have a lot of control over what the music is going to sound like. Many times when the composer is brought on, there's already been a style guide written up and there's temp music all over the place and the audio director has a very specific idea of what the music, already what the music needs to sound like. And usually it's with tracks from other games or film scores. And there's not a lot of creative freedom. But what was great about Dead Space is... All they really said was they wanted really, 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 really scary-sounding music. And that was it. Um, and I think they didn't want any electronics. But mm-hmm. other than that, they kind of let me do whatever I wanted to do. So I just wrote the scariest music I could think of and became completely immune to it, yeah. where by the end of the project, I'm thinking, it's not scary enough, it's not scary enough. And apparently it was plenty scary, but it just didn't affect me anymore. Uh-huh. So... That was kind of the creative task for the first game. And for the second game, I knew I wanted to do something different. And again, EA really said, they literally just kind of waved their hand at me. Yeah, you know, that thing you did last time, why don't you do that again for Mm -hmm. this one? And I didn't want to repeat the exact same thing. And 
once again, great story, just like the first Dead Space. Dead Space 2 had a great story, and the whole idea of kind of Isaac's insanity, the way his mind was infected with the marker, and he had this very lonely, vulnerable aspect going on. I love the idea of using string quartet and contrasting the really, really big set pieces that were super scary with the really small, emotional, vulnerable. It seems like the the smaller I could get, it would make the bigger sound even bigger and make mm. the smaller sound even smaller. And it was a study in contrast. With Dead Space 3, again, they had a great story, and it was simply a matter of kind of figuring out the next step for the music. And the scary thing, you know, they went back and forth over about two years trying to figure out how scary they wanted the game to be. In the end... I think the music ended up being a little scarier than the game actually was. Because mm-hmm. I kind of felt like they had me write some really scary stuff, and the gameplay didn't quite pay off the way it would, for example, in the first Dead Space. But right, right. just the Isaac's character, his journey as a person, and his character arc up through Dead Space 3, to me, just kind of necessitated the music needing to be more grounded and quote-unquote, acceptable, kind of more commercial-sounding with the synths and the more digestible kinds of themes and things like that. It just made sense with his character, because he was very much been there, done that, I know what I'm doing, I'm confident, I've got the tools, let me tell everybody else what they're supposed to do. So the music was reflecting his attitude, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, now with uh, Tomb Raider, you're you're taking over a franchise that has, it's you know been established and everything for many years and other and movies and kind of, I mean the 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 game is going back to the genesis of Lara Croft's character and I'm halfway through the game right now, but I've listened to the score and it's truly magnificent. You really crafted such an amazing story for the character of Lara, which is why I think it stands out so much. Instead of scoring the adventure or the idea of, of an adventure, I feel as if you're more focused on her character's journey, her obstacles, and, you know, overcoming everything she has plunged into, kind of against her will. What was, was that your approach for the game? Like, how did you want to approach that character and the whole experience? It, it, I think you did a great job explaining it right there, because mm-hmm. I, sometimes to an extent, to, to, to my detriment, but I take music very, very personally, not not meaning I'm offended or I'm happy. I mean, personally, in the sense that it always sounds, um, it's hard to explain. It's kind of, it's more of an internal thing when I think about it, when I listen to it, if I'm writing it, it's a very personal kind of journey. So if I'm watching a film or playing a game and there's the main protagonist and I'm really kind of feeling for them, it's the exact same parallel. That personal, you can relate to them and I've always preferred to score games from that personal one-on-one kind of standpoint because it seems it's just a lot more relatable. Now, sometimes there aren't, it's not possible to score for games that mm-hmm. way, or film, for that matter. But when the, when the subject is correct, and this seemed like the perfect chance to do that, you've got this young girl fresh out of school, no experience, kind of surrounded by her friends to a certain extent, but also completely out of her area of comfort on this island, stranded, having to survive. I love how she's so dependent on Roth at the beginning, and the first time she gets him on the radio, she says, please come get me. You know, she's not confident. She's scared out of her mind. And honestly, I didn't think that Crystal Dynamics would allow me to be as sensitive and 
uh, vulnerable and quiet as they did. And much to their credit, they never really changed anything. I mean, down starting with the theme, which I tried not to think about all of the responsibility of, of rewriting this theme, because they didn't even... It wasn't like they just said, we need a new theme for Laura for this game. What they said was, we want a new theme for Laura that we want to use. You know, it's been 10 years, 12 years. Right. We want to use this new theme that you're going to write for the next 10 or 12 years. So even if I'm not on sequels, if they end up making them, they want to keep using this theme. Um, first example I sent them, that I spent a couple of hours noodling on the piano, kind of whittled it down, got something that I liked, sent it off, and that's the theme. That's what you hear, which to me is a testament to their confidence and trust in, in any composer because it was a pretty big deal rewriting that theme. Yeah, yeah. But what I loved about it, um, besides the fact that they didn't change anything as far as the notes and the chords and things like that, was they kept that small, quiet piano very vulnerable, very simple, very relatable, kind of sad and poignant, but can be reharmonized to be very heroic if you treat it the right way. Absolutely. They allowed me to start with that, small and quiet, and kind of like Dead Space 2 was a contrast and opposites. This was a contrast from the very beginning to the very end in opposites, but it was all about the build in the middle, the, right, the right. journey of Laura. So the music is following her, as she progresses, upgrades her weapons, she gains more confidence, she's saving her friends, she makes decisions that empower her as a person. The music is also getting upgraded, not only with more instruments and bigger sounds, but the themes are becoming more complete. Everything's getting put together and assembled through the score as the game progresses. And I've never had that kind of big picture from the beginning right. to be able to structure a score like that. And I think um, knowing that going in and being aware of it the entire time I was working on the score and then constructing the, the soundtrack itself, the, the CD soundtrack in a chronological order so that you really get a sense of the way everything builds that that's all because crystal had a vision from the beginning. And not only did they keep their vision, but they kept me in the loop of the whole entire time. You know, usually you, sometimes you can come in on a game and say, we have eight weeks, we need 90 minutes of music go. And you're just trying to meet the deadline. You know, this was a very creatively nourishing experience from beginning to end. And it, it definitely comes across that way in the album, at least. I mean, it sounds like I, I'm listening to a film score, which uh, with video game scores, not you don't get that very often because of the kind of the looping tendencies that have to be in place. Exactly. So, and yep, I, yep. yeah. So it was it was a an amazing ex listening experience, and then in the game, it's even more effective i mean and and while the game it feels very open it does also have a pretty rigid structure in terms of its narrative um is it easier to score a game like like tomb raider versus something more open world like command and conquer 4 i don't know if easy would be the right adjective i think creatively it's more inspiring to mm -hmm. me to do something that, that has an arc, that has a progression, some sort of a linear fashion to it, where Command and Conquer, and a lot of that also depends on the audio director you're working with, but the Command and Conquer, it was a lot of, okay, we're, we're scoring this skirmish, now we're scoring this skirmish, and I don't even know where they're playing in the game, because it's just kind of, there is no, um, I mean, I guess in Command and Conquer, there is an overall plot line, but battle to battle, they're almost interchangeable. So mm -hmm. 
it's slightly uninspiring. I have to find something else besides the storyline to find inspiration. And usually it's it's more like, well, which location are we in? What's the setting? You know, there aren't necessarily... It's just different factors. Right, right. But um, and going back to Tomb Raider, your music does such a great job at racking up tension in the game to a point where or you know, I'm playing and I'm just unsettled and, and the, you know, the internet has dubbed kind of these, these moments as nope moments. I, I think the first one for me was the wolf's den near the beginning where I'm running to the cave and then the music kicks in and I just turn around. I'm like, nope, nope, not going in there. <laughs> it's just like, nope, I know what's coming. So how, how challenging is it to create that tension or that suspense when the player is ultimately dictating the pace, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> A lot of that, I'm so incredibly thankful hearing that people are really digging the music in the game. And I think that first Dead Space game just completely obliterated any sensitivity I had to tension at all. I mean, it's to the point now where I've... um, I mean, it literally did mold me as a composer. Probably a third of my just kind of compositional style now that I do is from working on that first Dead Space game because it was so out of the ordinary of anything that I normally do. I usually, what I prefer to write is beautiful Tchaikovsky or John Williams or, Mm -hmm. you know, very melodic, very kind of jazz chords and kind of schmaltzy kind of orchestra stuff. So doing that scary stuff was a new thing for me, but now it's old hat and to the point where if I'm working on another game and they say, oh, we could use it to get, you know, get a little darker here, get a little tense, most of the time they'll come back and say, that's a little too dark. <laughs> and I go, really? Because that didn't really, I mean, I could go a lot darker than that. Um, so it was a wonderful collaboration with Alex Wilmer, who was the music, kind of music editor mm-hmm. for Tomb Raider at Crystal. And a lot of those nope moments that you describe came from us having very long discussions because there are are some very key, there are probably 10 or 12 key moments in the game that we really wanted to score properly. And we were very aware from the beginning we didn't want to do the whole, you know, 60-second loop anywhere. We wanted to avoid that if at all possible. So a lot of times what might total two minutes of music uh, on paper is actually getting broken down and kind of strung out to maybe five or six minutes of gameplay where Mm -hmm. there'd be these little textures and maybe even something that like when you're approaching the wolves den, maybe it's me, um, bowing, you know, one of my dulcimers that's kind of out of tune and it's got this just really kind of raspy unsettling quality to it. And I just give Alex like a 15 second loop of that and it doesn't change. It's just this kind of weird kind of sound. But what he'll do is he he puts the loop in and as you get closer to the den and the proximity goes up, the, you hear that sound kind of fading in. And if you walk away, it'll, it'll fade out. And once you get inside the den, it'll trigger something else. But it's not a, and the music starting, you know, it's right, a right. lot more subtle uh, as far as how the music kind of comes in and, and goes out. And just as importantly, we were very keen on making sure there was a lot of space where music didn't play. Or if it was playing, it was... A single, you know, me playing a little drum and a shaker, very sparse, so that, you know, there's still some music there and you're exploring, but it's not 
you know, up oh, there's the loop. You don't. Yeah, it's yeah. more. It just it just kind of is in the background. You know, just kind of doing its thing quietly. And a lot of that, the long, the short answer to your question is a lot of that was implementation and the fact that Crystal was taking the time to implement you know, over three hours of music that we ended up putting in the game. Well, that's that's a hefty amount. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, looking, kind of looking at the whole video game landscape um, uh, as a whole, like o- overall, how do you think video game music has evolved over the years since you've started composing, and where do you see it heading in the future? Well, I definitely remember back in 2000 or 2001, any game I started on, the first thing we talked about was footprint. Mm-hmm. And that was a term that was thrown around all the time because the music had X number of megabytes of space on the disc. And right, the footprint right. for the music would dictate how much music we could put, how much music I could write. Because I've never really been one of those by the book, you know, oh, you want to hire me for 60 minutes of music. You know what? Ding! I'm at 60 minutes. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I always overwrite. I, I can't help it. Um, and I couldn't overwrite back then. They literally, I mean, I had to knock it down to the very second to get the loops what they wanted, or they would run out of, we'd get to the end, and the last five pieces they wanted, there was no more space in the disc. So probably the last four years, no footprint requirements, which is wonderful. Plus, starting with the first Dead Space back in 2008, which I started on in 2006, the dreaded stereo loop was gone. So we had interactive music, which really went a long way, I think, to advocating kind of the art of video game music as mm-hmm. opposed to just dropping in 60-second loops. Something else that Dead Space did, and I'm sure a couple of other games around that time did as well, was just having a random factor. We, I probably wrote 100 or 150 stingers for Dead Space, short, medium, and long, and they were classified by length, short, medium, and long, and if something jumped out and attacked you, it would randomly trigger one of those stingers as a starting point to a combat queue. Mm-hmm. And if you died and it jumped out and attacked you again, it would randomly trigger a different stinger. And it just helped the overall experience seem less repetitive. Um, there's nothing worse than, you know, you kind of finish clearing a room and you get in the elevator or whatever, something's loading, obviously. You go into the next room and you're hearing the same music you just heard in the previous room. Right, right. You don't really feel like you accomplished much. <laughs> so having the music kind of emphasize the fact that you're constantly moving forward, um, that, that kind of started in Dead Space. And with Tomb Raider and a couple of other new games I'm working on now, I think we're to the point where there really aren't any rules for implementation. Like with Dead Space, there was a certain way the music was put in, and we used that one music implementation treatment for the entire game. And with Tomb Raider, we literally looked at every scenario each time we came up to a new thing, or as you're going into the wolves' den, I just kind of say, well, can we do this? Can we do that? In terms of what I wanted the music to do, not how it would be triggered in the game, and Alex would go back and figure out how to make it work. And every time, the music was implemented a different way. Sometimes it's proximity-based. Sometimes it's based on the number of enemies on the screen. Sometimes it's based on how often Laura's shooting or it's based on if she's hiding behind a rock or not. There's an infinite number of things that can affect the music, so we would treat it differently every single time. And that's kind of what I've found, at least the big games that have the budget to spend time on implementation like that. That's kind of the new thing, is Mm -hmm. 
everything goes. What's the most appropriate thing? What can we do to make the music sound the best in the game? And I think in the future, it's probably going to be less programming, kind of more pre-programmed hooks and triggers and things. And there are some now that, that these guys use when they're implementing the music, but it's still, you know, it takes 15, 20 minutes to get everything kind of properly hooked in and then you have to play it back and blah, blah, blah. I think in the future it's just going to be a matter of pop-up menus with some presets, boom, 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 boom. What took 20 minutes this year maybe takes five in another year or two and um, it just means, you know, more time spent on other things and less time to have to worry about, well, no, if we get an extra 30 minutes of music, that means it's going to have to be implemented. And, you know, these are real world scenarios that the game developer has to consider. Mm -hmm. It's not just how many minutes they're paying the composer to write. It's got to get put in the game after that. Right. Well, I mean, I I just, it just everything these, I mean, at least with Tomb Raider, everything sounds so organic and it has a, a natural flow to it and it doesn't feel so, I guess, computerized as it used to in the past, at least for me. That's how I'm, I'm feeling it now. But, That's um, just awesome, because that was that was what we wanted from the beginning. I mean, I mean it was a slow and steady progression, because we tried to do some two-minute looping things with lots of stems and stuff, and it works for certain kinds of gameplay. Long, extended battles where you're fighting guys for ten minutes. Right, right. We can do stuff like that. It works great. But for the small stuff, for the kind of, you know, in-and-out-quickly kinds of things, the, the custom scoring... It's just just the way to go. And mm-hmm. what's great is you encounter these guys, you fight them, you move on, and you never hear that music again in the game. It, it never loops. It never repeats unless you back up in the game and go through and fight those guys again. That's the only time you're going to hear that music. So I guess to, uh, to wrap up, I always like to, to ask composers, if you had the opportunity to score any film ever made with no disrespect to the original composer, which film would you choose? I'd love to do a Star Wars film. Um, and the problem was, the problem would be if I scored a Star Wars film, it would probably sound just like John Williams did another Star Wars film. And I don't mean that in a, I'm incredible and I sound like John Williams, but I would just want to sound, right. I would be trying to sound like John Williams. And I say Star Wars because I love the kind of ambiguous harmonic stuff that he does with all the brass, how it just kind of goes from chord to chord, and it's like this complete kind of sonic freedom. Um, I mean, he kind of picked it up from Stravinsky, but he really made it his own in all the Star Wars stuff. As a matter of fact, I did a Star Wars fan film back, geez, 15 years ago or something with my my samples and things, and um, a couple of people, you know, in the know that new film scores and things said, well, you know, our only complaint is it doesn't sound like you wrote it. It sounds like John Williams wrote it. I said, well, that's good enough for me because that was the whole point, you know. Um, yeah, Star Wars, and, and not necessarily an old one. I mean, it'd be fun to do a new one and kind of live in that harmonic universe and just uh, do new things. Yeah, that's a good answer. I mean, it's, uh, I think, only one other... I think Trevor Morris said when I interviewed him, he said Star Wars. So you're in good company of sharing that idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Um, well, thank you so much, Jason, for your time. It's been such a great pleasure and and uh, so much fun to talk to you and so informative. So thank you so much. Oh yeah, completely my pleasure. Always fun to yak on about music. <laughs>